Today on the Lowdown, a Down Syndrome podcast, Riley Wurstbush gives us the lowdown on feeding issues in young children with Down Syndrome. Over to you, Mona and Hannah. Thanks, Danielle. Welcome to the Lowdown podcast. We're your hosts, Hannah Mahmood and Marla Folden. I am an occupational therapist, and I'm joined by my awesome colleague, Marla, who is a speech-language pathologist at the DSRF. Today, we have a topic for you that is so complex and yet so ubiquitous, feeding. It is, if it's going well, you don't even think about it. But if it isn't, then there are few things that can rival the stress of eating and feeding challenges. When you think about it, eating is every day, multiple times per day, and that is a lot of opportunities for stress. OT and SLP are both professions that support people with feeding, but in slightly different ways. Now, in some settings, there can be a bit of a power struggle between OTs and SLPs when it comes to feeding because there are some areas of overlap. But at the DSRF, we have a great system of collaboration that allows OTs and SLPs to use their individual expertise to help our clients. And today, we have the immense pleasure of interviewing our awesome colleague, Riley Rosebush, who is also a speech-language pathologist and has a special expertise in the area of feeding and Down syndrome. Riley studied psychology and linguistics before completing her master's degree in speech-language pathology at UBC. Riley has worked at the DSRF since 2012 and focused on early intervention and feeding as part of her practice. Riley's passionate about early intervention for kids with DS, including optimizing feeding with a whole family-centered approach, and she completed continuing education with talk tools, the SOS approach to feeding, and breastfeeding support through Douglas College, which is local to us here in BC. As an SLP, she believes that feeding and communication are important aspects of a child's development that impact their ability to participate and reach their full potential. Welcome to The Lowdown, Riley. Great to have you. Thank you. Very yeah. excited to be here. Yeah, we're just looking forward to it so much. <laughs> um, we usually start our podcast with five secret questions, which are not related to the main subject. Everyone's always nervous about those, but it's just so that the listeners can get to know you a little bit better sort of around the world. Are you good with that? I'm as good as I'm ever going to be. <laughs> okay, she's nervous too. Oh, it's okay. Um, They're fun ones. They are fun. Mm-hmm. They're super fun. So question number one, how many cups of coffee does it take to start your day? Oh, that really varies. Uh, <laughs> it depends how pregnant I am. Yeah. Yep. But, you know, I like, I, you know, the ideal for me, I think would be a solid three. Yep. Get me going. Yep. Yeah. And then maybe an afternoon cup later. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> well caffeinated. <laughs> Um, question number two, what are you reading right now? Oof, I am reading a couple of books uh, yeah. about babies, since I have a little Ooh. one baby at home. Mm-hmm. So I'm reading one called um, The No Cry Sleep Solution. Oh yeah? Oh, yeah, I got- <laughs> wonder why. <laughs> yep, and I previously read a different one on sleeping, so if you get a little bit of a theme here, yeah. we're worried about sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Anybody yeah. else? I've been there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, you'll read a lot. Thanks, yeah. In yeah. those moments, <laughs> for sure. Um, question number three. What's your favorite Vancouver area restaurant to go to? Oh, um, Could be child full or child free. There are so many. I think one of my all-time favorites has to be the Mackenzie Room, which mm-hmm. is a beautiful restaurant owned by actually a family who attends the DSRF. Mm-hmm. And it is one of the uh, most delicious. And I've never been. I oh, should go there. Oh, yeah. You have yeah. to go. Make it a special date night. Head over to the Mackenzie Room. I'm actually not sure um, you know, what they're up to right now with all the COVID 
stuff happening, but uh, that is for sure one of the best spots in town. Mm. Mm. Okay, I'm gonna go there. Um, question number four, you're gonna love this one. <laughs> what is your favorite animal to follow on Instagram? <laughs> We know you so well. We're yeah. like, that question has to be in there because we love that you love this. Well, you know, if it really comes down to it. I think it's any baby animal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but dogs in particular, I love. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, any pug account uh, yeah. really is close to my heart or any good Dachshund account. Yes. Uh, Squid the Griff. Yeah. And yeah, and Squid the Griff, uh, all the Brussels Griffin accounts out there, you know, shout out. <laughs> so those are just some of my favorite Instagram <laughs> yeah. animal accounts. <laughs> Thank you for that question. No problem. <laughs> um, and number five, if you had to decorate your whole entire house in one color, what color would that be? Oh, green. Yeah, oh. the one color we painted uh, when we got to our house, our apartment, was our baby's room, which is all green. Yeah. Um, and every other wall we just decided is just fine. How it is. <laughs> Painting's a lot of work. <laughs> it is. It's huge. Yeah, green's beautiful. Yeah. Totally. See, now everybody knows you better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They weren't hard questions. Oof. They were good funny ones um let's dive right in can you tell us how you came to be so interested in the area of feeding uh yes so like all speech pathologists i learned the basics i would say about uh feeding and eating and especially swallowing and the mm -hmm. kind of physiology or anatomy in grad school mm -hmm. um and it was very interesting at the time uh but uh you know mostly right after i graduated i was working in early intervention on speech and language so it wasn't until i got more involved uh, with the Down Syndrome Resource Foundation here um, when I started working with individuals with Down Syndrome that I started to learn more about feeding. Um, you know, really, I think my interest was piqued just by talking with families about, you know, what's going on with their kids and, and in their lives at home and just kind of hearing over and over again about how much of a struggle uh, feeding and, and eating could be um, mm -hmm. at home. And then, you know, we have so many great therapists here that, um, and everybody's very interested and interesting. And one of our colleagues, or my colleagues at the time who used to work here, uh, kind of started looking more into continuing education in that area. So I got to tag along, and then it wasn't long after that that I started trying to go to all of the continuing <laughs> education events I possibly could, yeah. <laughs> which has been a lot, yeah. <laughs> it's been an expensive pursuit, but it's yes. all been worth it. Uh, and, you know, just reading all the books and all the getting every every bit of information I can. So it's been it's been a journey. Yeah. And there's really there's a lot to learn. Mm -hmm. In grad school, we get taught more about what to do when someone's lost their feeding ability, mm -hmm. usually from a brain injury or some kind of mm -hmm. disease pathology, mm -hmm. but we don't learn that much, at least we didn't in McGill, um, what to do when children aren't developing it in the first mm -hmm. place. Mm -hmm. I agree, yeah. Our yeah. training in grad school is very adult focused, I would yes. say. Um, so yeah, kind of more of those clinical skills we had to certainly develop, um, you know, after you graduate. And I think that's, um, you know, one thing that's kind of important, I think, for parents or people in the system to kind of understand is that, you know, just because two professionals have the same, um, you know, accreditation or have gone to the same school doesn't mean they've all, you know, continued looking into more of the yeah. specific areas, mm -hmm. kind of the specialty areas. Mm -hmm. um, so feeding is one, one area that you might want to just, you know, talk to your 
uh, it particular therapist about and see, you know, what is their level of experience and training? And, you know, is that yeah. something that they feel comfortable, like kind of um, practicing? Mm -hmm. Or is there somebody else who has the same, you know, technically the same degree, but mm -hmm. might, you know, know a little bit more just because they've looked at that um, a bit more closely? Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in a clinic setting, like what are some of the things you might see that make you worry or question whether there's a feeding or a swallowing issue with our kiddos with Down syndrome? Mm -hmm. like, yeah, that's a really good question. I think, um, you know, like you mentioned in the intro, Hannah, uh, feeding and, you know, eating and drinking, everything involves such a wide array of skills. Mm -hmm. And these all really affect each other um, in development. So that can be hard to tease apart for sure. So, um, you know, I'm kind of, always trying to look at a child's overall like motor development and sensory development which is something mm -hmm. um, I know that you are also interested or all OTs are interested in Hina for sure. Um, we're also looking at behavior, communication and their social development and of course these really interact with a person's general health um, so things like illnesses or digestive issues or, or, or stuff like that mm -hmm. and so I'm you know we're kind of looking at each person from that kind of whole holistic perspective in a mm -hmm. way trying to kind of put all those pieces together but what really kind of gets my um, like what really comes out as like the number one red flag to me is when uh, you know through talking with parents or interviewing parents or you know just in discussions when you get to hear that they are struggling at home yep. or they start talking mm -hmm. about negative experiences mm -hmm. that they've had or their kids have had um, and you know I think it's really important for participation and development overall that eating and meals are enjoyable for you know children or uh, people and also for the whole family so mm -hmm. if a parent is reporting that you know these times are stressful and not enjoyable then I start to you know really question you know what is it about this person's development those areas we talked about just a minute ago that are you know kind of um, maybe need some help uh, in, in therapy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think also, you know, knowing that our kiddos with Down syndrome have so many medical conditions mm -hmm. and so many different things that can impact feeding too. Mm -hmm. So there's, I mean, I don't want to say that there's always an issue, but there's a high likelihood that there will be some issue with feeding at some at level. At some point. Yeah. At yeah. some level, for yeah, sure. At some level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or the process gets going and then it stalls out, yeah. transitioning between one type of food and the next, totally. or somewhere in there. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. it's, I mean, it's just hugely stressful yeah. for or families. Or like even if you like get a cold or a sore throat and yeah. then swallowing is hard because of your sore throat and then yeah. feeding may either like become a problem or you might regress a little bit. So there's just so much variability in that area. Yeah, absolutely. So. And I think like all those things you, you mentioned, like, you know, potentially, you know, a child who's had some surgery or spent mm -hmm. a long time in the hospital mm -hmm. or, you know, just for any reason um, has had to focus on like healing and getting better instead of eating. They it's likely that, um, you know, that's something they might have to spend some time catching up on. Um, and like, um, you know, I think, you know, there's a lot of things that are, are like this. Um, mm -hmm. But if it's going well, like you said, you don't even notice it yeah. and you wouldn't even kind of question it. But when there's a problem, it seems it's a big problem, a big problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, you know, you, we have to eat at least, you know, a couple times a day. So it's, a, it's an everyday. It can be an everyday stress for families. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. There are a few clinical things that we look out for that I can mention too. Um, so when we are, when I have somebody in the clinic and we're looking and watching how they eat and how they how they drink and mm -hmm. how that's all going, 
you know, some of the big signs or red flags that I look for that parents can also look for are anything from like food refusals or just saying like no to mm -hmm. any or certain foods, which, yep. you know, can kind of go along even with just picky eating, which mm -hmm. can be in a range from, you know, somewhat normal to, um, you know, very uh, not normal uh, or, you know, problematic from nutrition. Yeah. Extreme, yeah. exactly. Uh, if somebody has difficulty with chewing or drinking from a cup or straw, that's a big one. Mm -hmm. uh, if you see lots of food getting pushed out of the mouth, mm -hmm. um, that can be uh, a challenge for sure. Uh, even somebody who's doing okay with, you know, accepting foods, but it takes them a really, really, really long time to eat, that can indicate that there's something going on mm -hmm. inside mm -hmm. for sure. Um, lots of the kids we see get stuck on certain food textures, and I think this yeah. is like what you mentioned about kind of stalling out. Yep. So, you know, we try our purees or applesauce or yogurt and everything's good. Going great. And that's it. Well, and then <laughs> and nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> and nothing else. Yeah. Uh, and that's really hard for sure. Um, and something that I know you work on with lots of um, our clients in it is the is self-feeding or being able to mm -hmm. feed yourself, like mm -hmm. pick up the food with yeah. or use utensils and get mm -hmm. that going. Um, yeah. yeah, things like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so like, I mean, in talking about those things, can you talk, tell our listeners a little bit about what are some of the feeding issues that individuals with DS might have, like specific to their profile of having Town syndrome? Yeah, for sure. So um, earlier, I think I mentioned quickly that, you know, one of the areas of general development that affects feeding is motor development or kind of how we move our body. Um, and uh, there are a lot of movements that are very small and fine and happen, you know, in your body and also inside of your mouth um, that are, are that need to be kind of just so. So because mm -hmm. people with Down syndrome have low muscle tone um, and may have some difficulty with coordination overall um, and the, you know, then this can kind of translate into difficulty moving the mouth in the right way to manage the food. And when mm -hmm. I say manage, I kind of mean like taking the food in the mouth, chewing it adequately, moving it from side to side, and then moving it back to be swallowed properly. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that's a big thing that kind of uh, is, you know, we, we tend to see uh, because it really does match the developmental profile and the physical profile of, mm -hmm. of a lot of people with Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. um, the other um, part of that is, or the other side of that coin is kind of some of the sensory issues. Mm -hmm. So kids who might have, or easily kind of overstimulated. So, you know, a taste tastes very intense to them or certain flavors taste very intense or certain textures feel mm -hmm. very intense. Mm -hmm. um, that can affect how they accept and enjoy food for sure. Um, or the opposite of that being a bit under responsive or yeah. under sensitive, hyposensitive. And what that looks like is, you know, food or liquid goes in their mouth, but you know, it's kind of like, oh, I can't feel it yeah. as well as lost. I need to. Yeah. It kind of yeah. gets lost. Kind of that feeling like after you've gone to the dentist and had the freezing put in and yeah. eating feels very awkward because mm -hmm. <laughs> you can't feel it. Yeah, yeah you can't mm -hmm. feel that grain of rice or whatever um, yeah. properly. So that affects, yeah. you know, kind of mutually affects um, how your mouth is able to move to, to manage it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and those things kind of you know, as, as that's developing for kids, you know, we might, we're, you know, more likely to see these motor and sensory issues, which of course affects how I like kind of feel and my attitude towards eating. And, you know, what does that impact? That's going to impact for sure my behaviors around for food. every meal. Yeah. 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 And I know if you talk to Susan or listen to Susan Fawcett's episode, we know that there's lots of um, certain, certainly some behavior issues that are more likely to be seen um, in individuals with Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. And so when there's a challenging, a challenge like eating uh, that comes up, yeah, uh, yeah behavior behavior we see behavior <laughs> sure. we do yeah and i would i think i would add 
to make it clear for parents, like food getting lost in your mouth just means that your kid can't collect the food to mm-hmm. swallow mm-hmm. it efficiently. So it might be in their cheek and you know you think they're done eating and then they open their mouth and the food is still there yeah. <laughs> or up in the arch of their palate yeah. which is much higher for kids with down syndrome mm-hmm. and things get stuck up there mm-hmm. or they might gag on that that kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah so the facial and and like kind of mouth growth like how it looks tends to be a little bit different yeah. like marla mentioned the high arch palate differences in how the teeth grow and um, so there's just more like kind of small cavities for the food to get lost. Yeah, and yeah. then if our tongue doesn't, it has low muscle tone and doesn't quite work as well to scoop and scrape, like it's going to be more difficult to yeah. kind of, yeah, collect that in an orderly way. Yes. <laughs> and I think you were referring to the hyposensitivity around the mouth. Like mm-hmm. would you, because I know that a lot of our kiddos and adults will um, put a lot of food in their mouth. Mm-hmm. And so would you attribute a lot of food in the mouth to the hyposensitivity because I know that's a question that I get from parents mm-hmm. a lot like why do they stuff their faces so much like mm-hmm. and it is it's I mean it could be partially that they're very hungry but it mm-hmm. is that like yeah you want to talk a little bit about how that is? for sure yeah. yeah and I think um you know you for sure know the answer to this probably even better than me because you know I think sensory development really is like an OT area of expertise for sure but you know for my two cents that tends to be what we attribute it to of course you need to look at somebody's overall sensory profile and you know the various kind of behaviors that they Mm -hmm. um, exhibit with food but one big reason can be that yeah they're they're not feeling it as much so what do I do if I can't feel something as much well I might want a more intense feeling Mm -hmm. I might want to put more in so I can really feel it all like you know there's more area of my mouth stimulated Mm -hmm. Um, similarly I might seek out uh, really intense flavors you know a few kids I know love pickles things like that (laughs) or like the super crunchy yes yes super salty that kind of thing or super sweet Um, so that yeah that is one Mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. for sure um, but also you know we have to can't really it's hard to separate the sensory from the motor so yeah. if I'm not able to swallow it even if I'm feeling it okay yeah. if I'm not swallowing it as quickly um, or as efficiently as I want to be because I, my mouth doesn't move the food back um, the mm-hmm. tongue doesn't propel the food back as efficiently as needed mm-hmm. then uh, the food's going to just stick around for longer yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and yeah. even if you're kind of like done with it in your mouth you're yeah. ready for your next bite but yeah. your last bite is still there totally and that is a concern that comes in really really often mm-hmm. especially around things like bread yes. where people Always get stuck yeah. you know parents will say like they just take bite after bite after bite of bread and they haven't swallowed any of it and then yeah. it's a choking risk yeah. and people get really concerned about that yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. definitely i think the choking risk is kind of where parents get very concerned. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you're just pocketing mm-hmm. a lot of this food and it's not going anywhere mm-hmm. then. Um, and I know that a lot of our kids have like an open mouth posture mm-hmm. too. So do you find that that would impact their chewing as well? Like the, their inability to close the mouth or you like, know, I guess I, that I motor think, part? I think sometimes those things can be like related or correlated, yeah. right? Like, you know, people who have overall difficulty with their mouth and, you know, strength yeah. in their mouth, posture, position of their mouth, growth yeah. in their mouth. Um, you know, does that make you more likely to also have difficulty chewing? I'm not sure. Um, But, you know, just that overall difficulty with your mouth um, at both at rest being open and your mouth at work, quote unquote, um, being chewing is, you know, maybe more likely to it's kind of a clue that something yeah. is different with the mouth, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any more to add, Hannah? No, no, no. <laughs> you, we, you said let's it perfectly, yeah. bring up the whole area of tube feeding just briefly mm-hmm. as yes. another mm-hmm. area of concern mm-hmm. for 
Great. Kids with Down syndrome. Yes, thank um, you. So lots of kids. If you're listening and you didn't know this, um, lots of kids with DS start off on a tube feed, mm-hmm. especially if they have some big heart concerns or strength issues when they're really little. Mm-hmm. Um, and coming off that tube can be really hard. Mm-hmm. So you want to talk a little bit about that? For sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked at one study that is um, citing about half, uh, I think they were calling it 48% of infants with Down syndrome, you know, when they were born, required at least some period of tube feeding. Yeah. It's not a large portion of the population that ends up requiring tube feeding for many years, but mm-hmm. at least to help them get through that time, like we kind of talked about when your body just needs to focus on healing, growing, getting stronger, Easy. maybe getting better breathing, exactly, where, um, you know, a tube is just a, an alternative way to get food and nourishment into the body um, without the baby or child having to really work mm-hmm. and put in that work um, to feed and swallow and manage the breathing at the same time. So, mm-hmm. um, yes, so there often is a time for, you know, for a good portion of, of, of kids and babies where um, they aren't aren't taking in food or, or milk or formula by mouth. And what this kind of res- can result in is, you know, just missed opportunities in, in learning and development. You know, babies are born, um, you know, primed to feed and primed to suck and, and mm-hmm. take in food by the mouth. So that is really a critical time when, um, you know, they have all their kind of instincts and their reflexes intact where, um, you know, their mouth and body should be learning how to manage all this at once. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, if there's more pressing medical issues going on, then they have to kind of skip that. Um, so when they get old enough and strong enough to finally, you know, start feeding by mouth, um, they, that skill needs to be essentially rehabilitated because mm-hmm. some of the um, benefits that they would have had um, if they had started as an infant have been kind of lost. Yeah. Um, and suddenly, yeah, you have a, you know, an older infant or, or child who, mm-hmm. you know, hasn't had, you know, daily experiences with things in their mouth, maybe mm-hmm. other than some painful procedures at the hospital or wherever they were staying. So mm-hmm. there, there can be a lot to overcome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And do you find usually that you're starting at square one at that point? Let's say you have a nine month old coming off tube feed often with nine month olds we're looking at purees and Mm -hmm. maybe some soft solids Mm -hmm. but I don't assume that you're starting right there Mm -hmm. if someone's never even done bottle feeding that kind of thing or do you usually go straight for it you know it's it's interesting I think um in BC and Canada, where we are recording this right now, uh, there is just a there's a bit of a mishmash of mm-hmm. of kind of systems in place for kids who. It's a polite way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> for kids who uh, are kind of kind of trans- starting to transition off of tube feeding or have had that kind of medical background, medicalized mm-hmm. background, and so to be honest, most of the kids who I see who are transitioning, I'm not the first person that they've kind of encountered along the way here. Mm. Um, so a lot of people have that I've worked with have kind of tried solid foods, um, foods, purees, whatever, mm-hmm. um, by mouth at, at some point. So mm-hmm. I'm usually not kind of dictating what the first thing is. Right. Um, but, um, you know, one thing I think you might kind of be getting at, correct me if I'm wrong, but is the idea that, um, you know, we, we've been talking about the sensory experiences of food and mm-hmm. how um, important that is for being successful with eating. And um, we just want to remember that there are ways to bring uh, sensory experiences to a child's mouth that don't necessarily yeah. involve food or the risk of choking or the mm-hmm. risk of, yeah. you know, developing those kind of fear associations with food. So yeah. sort of lower stress lower things. Stress. Exactly. Yes. Yes. A little bit of oral stimulation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. totally. Yeah. yeah. And that can look, you know, like a variety of things. Often, you know, there's a little bit of like mouth massage 
massage. There's mm-hmm. a variety of like, you know, stimulating kind of teething tools or teething toys that, you know, we can kind of apply gradually. Even mm-hmm. just a parent's finger mm-hmm. um, in the mouth daily, you know, can really help to kind of get that system, that sensory system online and, and kind of getting going. So, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, there's a lot that you can do even if your baby isn't quite ready to, um, you know, jump all the way into food, food or, you, right. know, you know, milk, milk or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Milk. Um, You were referring to infants a little bit earlier when you were talking about two feeding. Mm -hmm. So um, are there any specific age groups that are affected by feeding? Is it like... Yeah, great question. Yeah. Yeah. So um, for sure, uh, like we talked about, because of the complex medical things that can be going on, infants, um, younger kids and infants tend to be, uh, you know, kind of the most affected by Mm -hmm. some of these bigger issues. But that definitely doesn't mean that, um, you know that other age groups aren't affected as well. So Mm -hmm. if, you know, these issues aren't addressed well, then for sure they just continue into childhood. Uh, So we see lots of older kids who continue to have feeding issues um, or who kind of develop feeding issues. Maybe there was a scary incident, like a choking incident Mm -hmm. um, or something out there Mm -hmm. that just caused a bit of a regression. And um, yeah, so we kind of see older kids as well. And then another thing I think um, to be aware of um, and I, you know, I hope the word is spread about this in for people who work with older adults. But mm-hmm. um, like all older people in the population, um, these skills can actually get lost with age. So mm-hmm. um, our swallowing muscles become much weaker. The reflexes and things like that can become much weaker. So you can develop um, a weaker cough mm-hmm. um, or gag, and mm-hmm. you know that's problematic because it's our cough and our gag reflexes that protect us from choking and from what we call aspirating, which is bringing food or liquid into the lungs by accident. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, for older adults or people who are experiencing any sort of cognitive or physical decline, then that's a time to uh, maybe have feeding and drinking reassessed mm-hmm. because uh, we can start to see those skills deteriorate, which can lead to uh, really troublesome health problems yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Aspiration mm-hmm. being a big one. Yeah, yeah exactly. pneumonias yeah. and those Yeah, yeah exactly. Things. So mm-hmm. And... I just want to make it super clear for parents that even if your child is not choking, it doesn't mean that they're yes. not having problems with mm-hmm. swallowing, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, so even little tiny signs or sometimes no signs like watering eyes and those kind of things mm-hmm. could indicate that there's some aspiration going on. Can you guys on. like talk a few a little bit about some more signs? Because I think this is really important for parents to know, like just some things to look for. Sure. Like, I think it's silent aspiration. Is silent that what the aspiration term is? Yeah. is the term. I think it's really important for. And it just means that the child didn't cough or sort of spit out the thing that was choking them. So, you know, there's not the audible cue that mm-hmm. somebody's choking right there. Um, any type of bluing in the lips and the face watering eyes all of those kind of things mm-hmm. you want to add to yeah. the list There's yeah so cho- like they're you know both choking and aspiration imply that something's gone instead of down it, the esophagus into the tube into the stomach yeah it's gone down the other tube which is your breathing tube <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and either gotten stuck which means choking like a piece of food and that's the kind of like you know i can't breathe yeah um you really see the the color changes mm-hmm. um and that's for sure scary but what if it's something like a liquid and it goes down that breathing tube then it doesn't cause you to choke or not be able to breathe but it does go potentially as far as into your lungs which can cause things like um lung infections or pneumonia um stuff like that um so it's it's really 
it's really challenging because lots of people with Down syndrome also have, um, you know, they're kind of known to have or thought that it's, you know, within the range of expected to have more respiratory issues. Mm -hmm. So those um, and, you know, more difficulty with their uh, immune system, a little bit more immunocompromised. Mm -hmm. So um, if that if this is kind of the profile of the person in your life, um, that they're, you know, frequently coughing, having um, maybe fevers or just random lung infections, uh, you do want to check for aspiration. Um, They can Mm -hmm. do studies which look like a moving x-ray of somebody swallowing to make sure that the little bits of food or liquid aren't going down that wrong tube into the lungs Mm -hmm. just to rule out that that's um not happening yeah yeah so that those two things like you know choking is is scary obviously because it's very immediately life-threatening yeah (laughs) and uh you know it can cause a lot of trauma for a child or for a family um and then aspiration is difficult because it's you know unless somebody's showing overtly that it's happening it can go on for months or even mm, years yeah. before mm-hmm. it's picked up yeah. and um and causing all sorts of health issues yeah. um, there was a study that looked at back at um the swallowing studies of those moving x-rays of mm-hmm. kids who have down syndrome and they um they were they kind of reviewed them and what they found was that of the kids who were aspirating so i think about 60 percent of the kids in the study um were aspirating on um, food and liquids like mm-hmm. it was going into their lungs um so of those kids, ninety more than ninety percent of them didn't show a single sign. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you're just watching mm-hmm. them eat or watching them drink, you would mm-hmm. think, oh, that is all fine and good. Uh, but it, if you looked in the moving X-ray, it. then it looked, then you could see it going into the lungs. So yeah. it's not possible to just watch somebody eat and know what's happening on the inside. Right. Yeah. So but it be... should raise your red flags if your kid's having a lot of infections, yeah. a lot of pneumonias, a lot, yeah. you know, those kind of things. You, you have to okay. dig deeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there. that's what I was just going to say. Yeah. yeah, like what would be an indicator that it's a moving replaced. x-ray yeah. is indicated? Like, yeah. you know, so... So yeah. some... I, de- I made a list. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Great. We love lists. <laughs> there there are a lot. Uh, and for sure, so like really, the, uh, there most kids will not show too many signs, yeah. but there are some overt signs and some of the more overt signs are struggling or coughing on, on liquids or, mm-hmm. or when you're eating. Um, for little babies, especially if they're arching their back mm-hmm. repeatedly while mm-hmm. trying to eat or kind of, um, yeah, kind of splaying out their hands, things like that. Uh, looking for changing color. So they're eating and their face goes bright red or they're kind, yeah, kind of lamps or, yeah. Yeah, or, or any blueness, like Marla said, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and looking for those little, like kind of tears in the eyes that you might get if you were kind of choking or coughing on on food too. Um, hmm. Some other more subtle signs might be, yeah, that kind of long lasting, kind of that, that wet or productive mucusy cough. Mm-hmm. Um, because even if it's not to the point of becoming a full blown infection or pneumonia, it's still, there's the lungs are trying to work out yeah. um, whatever's in there. Um, and then in addition to the uh, lung infections, any unexplained fevers, lots of kind of wheezing or those noisy coughs. Um, and then overall, like kind of low oxygen levels or, or difficulty with gaining weight. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think and, you know, it's kind of suggested that even if kids can't or babies can't tell you what's going on inside their body, somehow they they tend to know that it's, this is, doesn't yeah. feel good. It's not yeah. safe for me. So you and get more things like straight up food refusals or yeah. kids who don't or just taking forever, anymore. ever, ever, ever mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they're trying to make it be safe yeah. for yeah. themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, just yeah. tiny, tiny amounts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, all of those are a sign. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. And so if you think that this might be something that your 
concerned about for the person in your life, then the people to talk to are, are your doctors. It's a it's a kind of a medical assessment mm-hmm. um, here in BC. Um, you can go to Sunny to uh, BC Children's Hospital, yeah. and they mm-hmm. will do um, assessments on kids. And there are a few places that do them on adults, um, different hospitals to okay. uh, to get that done. Great. That was very helpful. I think, yeah, it's good for parents to know what to look out for. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't want to scare parents either, but it's good no. to be educated and at least know, mm-hmm. especially when I like having the benefit of having you both here. I've learned a lot about feeding and the silent aspiration thing was a really good lesson. And the, I like that you described choking versus aspiration because mm-hmm. sometimes those terms can be used interchangeably. So mm-hmm. it's nice to know the mm-hmm. difference between the two. Yeah. yeah. Similar problem. Similar problem. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's important too that parents have well not just parents but anybody who's a caregiver or supporter mm-hmm. has just this inkling that it might not be stubbornness mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. eating because that mm-hmm. is kind of the go-to thing mm-hmm. you know so and so won't eat or they take forever mm-hmm. or whatever but there's often a reason that that is happening mm-hmm. and digging deeper can kind of yeah. make it less stressful because at least then you know what's going on yeah and i think that was a big lesson for me overall um you know just learning more about this is that mm-hmm. you know we what looks like behavior what looks like somebody being like you say stubborn or kind of bad or you know they're throwing their food all the time mm. like how do I stop them from doing that uh, it's really important especially with this area to step back and find those underlying reasons Absolutely. and this yeah. is why I I always tell parents that communication is an aspect of feeding development oh, yeah. because if I can't communicate how it feels mm-hmm when I'm eating and drinking, if I can't tell you like why I am throwing the food around. Why I'm afraid of it, basically. Then then I think that needs to be uh, something that we look at or is looked at more more deeply. Um, The other thing beyond just, you know, quote unquote behavior as in like problem behavior is kind of that area um, of anxiety. Mm -hmm. So lots of people who have communication difficulties do experience a lot of anxiety in the world because it's hard, you know, I, I don't necessarily understand everything that's happening to me or or is being done to me or is happening around me mm-hmm. um, and if I can't understand what you're telling me about it or yeah. I can't tell you how I'm feeling about it then those feelings of being nervous or worried or scared uh, can you know manifest in a variety of ways For um, sure. which often yeah. looks like you know just straight up stalling out on yeah acting <laughs> out or acting in yeah acting right in and just refusing sure. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah exactly yeah it's a scary time for sure for sure yeah so from your experience, do you think kids will eventually, or individuals with Down syndrome or kids, I guess, outgrow their feeding challenges and feeding problems? Because I know you mentioned that in adulthood, we do have to kind of look out for weakened swallowing muscles and stuff. But just overall, if you have a kiddo that comes to you with a feeding challenge, is that something that they can outgrow or? Um, yes. So I think um, I think in general, I don't really love the term like outgrow mm-hmm. for this area yeah. because yeah. it kind of implies that it just like happens. magically happens. Yeah. <laughs> because it's I get older, point, yeah. Yeah. you know, I think for lots of lots and lots of people, lots of kids, you know, they're really lucky because their parents put in a lot of work mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and put a lot of focus on this. So um, they more like, you know, outlearn it, air quotes, manage um, it. Manage yeah, it. Yeah, um, yeah. Or I, you know, I, 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 of course, you know, we're talking, we are talking a little doom and gloomy because we want people to take it seriously. But, you know, kids can learn and they mm-hmm. do learn and they, they mm-hmm. learn quickly, um, luckily, all the, very often. So, um, you know, with the right types of approaches and supports uh, uh, that are like sensitive to the child's needs and learning, um, you know, really these, uh, lots of these issues can be overcome. So I would say that the issues can be overcome mm-hmm. and um, kids for sure, and, and adults can can continue learning throughout life, um, but uh, but it's it, it is 
possible that people do get stuck. And, you know, that's why, um, you know, we're here at the DSRF or feeding therapists exist in general. Mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's and, you know, it's such a complex area. Uh, I would always say to people that, you know, it's a great area to like find as much help as you can kind of get, like ask for different opinions, to find different professionals who can see it from different, the, the problem your child might be having from different perspectives and address each area. Um, because there's so much to know. And I think uh, that, you know, f certainly not one professional has all the answers and certainly mm -hmm. not, you shouldn't expect yourself as a parent to have all the answers no, either. No, not at all. It's such a complex thing. Yeah, it's, yeah mm -hmm. it's super complicated. Mm -hmm. And our goal is always to make the whole routine of eating and mealtimes fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and if it's not that, then come to see us basically mm -hmm. if you're mm -hmm. yeah 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 because yeah. i think um you know like you said we're focused on you know fun enjoyment and yeah. yeah enjoyment and that doesn't always mean for every person that the goal is that they're going to eat you know all the broccoli or every yeah. you know thing mm -hmm. um on their plate or every even all food that's like kind of you know as it is for mm -hmm. some people and really enjoyable and healthy you know, eating development yeah. and, and mealtime experience could be having some modified foods. Like maybe for somebody it is better that they do eat most of their food in pureed form because it's safer for them or, yeah. mm -hmm. um, you know, more enjoyable for them or whatever. Um, you know, so if somebody's able to get all the nutrition that they need and they're able to participate, I think participation yeah. is a huge one here mm -hmm. in all the social aspects of eating that they want to. And, you know, people are happy that way then yeah. you know we don't necessarily need to change everything to meet some you know yeah. arbitrary standard yes yeah, <laughs> we don't need everybody on carrot sticks and raw broccoli basically <laughs> yeah. it's, like yeah. that's not our plan yeah, yeah. 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 You, don't, you just don't want meal time to be a stressful time right exactly it's supposed to be yeah for sure yeah that's exactly really and you know yeah. i think yeah just once again like it's all about participation yeah. enjoyment i love that you use the word participation yeah, yeah. my ot heart's very happy with you. <laughs> <laughs> all about participation Absolutely. yeah um so let's talk a little bit about some of the more practical things that um you may work on with kiddos with down syndrome in terms of feeding so what's the deal with drinking from a cup why is that so hard for our, for our people <laughs> i am so glad you asked this question and i think i have to think about this a little bit too but it, i think when we're talking about something like this i always try to get parents to either you know act it out with me or visualize mm. this very closely with me so let's all go on a visualization great <laughs> exercise yes um so we're picturing we're maybe sitting at a table and we want to drink from a cup so before we kind of jump ahead 10 steps and we're like got the you know drink in our mouth let's just think about our body sitting there at the table and you know i think hina knows and all ot's know how complicated just it's alone can be um but you know first thing you need is a stable and supported seating posture mm -hmm. and because of some of the issues to do with low muscle tone maybe for core stability this mm -hmm. can be the first place that <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, can, you might need to work on mm -hmm. for real so um you know, this is something you might look at with your OT to look at maybe what is the best um, seating option for my person to be um, able to drink successfully from a cup. So we have sitting stably mm -hmm. <laughs> and then we're progressing from there and we see our cup in front of us and we want to reach out and get it. So that requires us to be able to coordinate both our vision, what we can see mm -hmm. with our arms and our hands, what they need to do to just reach out just the right amount and kind of grasp that cup safely and stably without spilling anything. Mm -hmm. um, and then similarly, we need to then be able to pick that cup up, you know, bending our arms in just the right amount, just to just the right degree to get that liquid 
to our mouth um, without, yeah, just enough force to, to not spill it everywhere, um, but to bring it close enough to our fa face. Um, then what we need to do is then tilt the cup ever so slightly. <laughs> yeah. You're making this sound complicated, right? I know. Oh my goodness. It's not just as easy as just drinking it. Exactly. No. Yeah. yeah. So just the right amount goes into your mouth. Mm -mm. And if we get too much, um, you know, that's a problem. If you get too little, that also can affect the sensations in your mouth. And so we want there to be just enough liquid that the person can kind of feel what's going on and, and be able to manage that. So um, we're feeling, we're experiencing whatever's in our mouth. And, you know, this is some uh, the, the place Parents often say, you know, my child can drink really well. They like juice, they like milk. We can't do water. <laughs> um, so plain water is, if you think about it, has like almost no sensory information other than like wet, potentially. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, when we're wondering why our child's struggling with water, often it's this stage that sensory kind of processing in the mouth mm -hmm. um, where that kind of falls down because there's just not enough happening with water to kind of cue up our mouth to go, mm -hmm. oh, I need to swallow. Especially I need to do Especially room temp water. Especially room temp water. It has nothing. It's yeah. empty. It's no information. <laughs> it feels the same as my mouth. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so you get more coughing, more spitting out, things like that. Uh, then you need to hold the liquid in your mouth. And the way you do that is holding just the right amount of tension in your cheeks, in your lips, in your tongue. So that requires a lot of stability, a lot of kind of muscle control there. Mm -hmm. And then you need to, um, you know, just so lift the tip of your tongue, kind of gather that water, scoop it back and, you know, not too quickly, not too slowly swallow it. Yeah, make um, a cute little seal in there. Oh yeah, you're right. If you're not quite closing your lips all the way, <laughs> guess where that water's going? <laughs> And if you have a tongue thrust swallow pattern, so your tongue tends to push out when swallowing rather than going up and back, mm -hmm. then, you know, we can all guess where that water <laughs> or liquid is going, you know, most of the time, mm -hmm. um, for sure. Uh, you know, I think it's also, you know, that's just getting it to the level of wanting to swallow. And then once we're swallowing again, um, I've, you know, there's, depending on the stage of swallowing you're looking at, there's about like 30 pairs of muscles and nerves that need to be coordinated to get it all Oof. going the right way. And those way. are like not under your control. So totally. that's really yeah. a yeah. neurological yeah. thing. But if that goes awry, then mm -hmm. all of your so carefully planned everything <laughs> just didn't work out. Yeah, exactly. So there is a lot to, for people to be able to do, like you say, volitionally or mm -hmm. things that we can work on with their body, with their arms, with their mouth, with, mm -hmm. you know, controlling the cup. Um, and then there's the whole non-volitional swallow kind of reflexy side, um, which may or may not go that well. So cups yeah. are hard uh, <laughs> in general. Yeah, I think particularly yeah. around the amount, and that's what's mm -hmm. scary for a lot of kids, mm -hmm. is that just that little gentle tilt. Yeah, And when you think yes. about yourself as an adult, if you're drinking from a cup that you don't know how hot something is mm -hmm. in there or cold it is, then you do an even tinier amount to just mm -hmm. sort of like test it out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but if you watch little kids who are learning how to use cups, they don't have that skill, yeah. and they often give themselves a dump in the face yeah. where they just tip yeah. the whole thing and if that happens to you enough times because you can't control it it becomes a really negative experience yeah. and it's like being dunked in a pool yeah <laughs> like it's not nice yeah. and, and you're you can, wet and people make a people fuss. yeah <laughs> and people get loud about it and whatever yeah. so yeah. consider whether that's kind of going on often too for sure yeah and you know it's kind of that just the right amount of force thing you know we can see that in lots of skills that people are doing you know it's mm -hmm. maybe more obvious with their something they're doing with their hands maybe like holding a pencil or something mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. oh it's yeah. too light or it's too hard yeah um but yeah. you know when it's with our something we're doing with our mouth it's just harder to recognize that i think yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah and then of course there are definitely lots of different i know i have parents asking me with different types of cups how do we try mm -hmm. transitioning mm -hmm. from one to the other 
Um, and like, would you recommend, like how, if a parent wants their kid to, I guess, maybe transition from bottle feeding to mm -hmm. a cup, like if that's mm -hmm. generally how it goes, mm -hmm. like what do you, what would you recommend their first steps are? Should they see their SLP mm -hmm. or? Great question. Yeah, yeah, either like, you know, again, your SLP or your OT yeah. um, or, you know, whichever professional has that kind of like background a little bit, you know, yeah. so just chat with whoever you can and see if they have some tips to help you. But, you know, thinking about all those steps we went through with the, um, you know, what, how do you drink from a cup? Um, if somebody can help you break down at what step the breakdown mm. is happening in, you mm -hmm. know, where is that issue? Are they picking it up perfectly, but it just, they their tongue pushes it out of their mouth yeah. or can they not even quite get the cup to their mouth? You know, if you can first identify exactly where things are going awry, then you might be able to find a solution, a idea, which yeah. may be a specific kind of cup yeah. Uh, like, you know, doesn't need to have a little bit more weight in the cup. Mm -hmm. Doesn't need to be uh, a cup that has handles. Does it need to be a cup that has a special kind of lid that lets out just the right amount of liquid? Do yeah. we need a thicker liquid? Do we, you know, there's yeah. a variety of solutions, but yeah. if you don't know where the problem is coming from in the first place and you're going to maybe not make yeah. the right choice or be or find the the tool that you need for yeah, the job. Or, you know, spend too much money on so many <laughs> yeah. different kinds of cups yeah, and yeah, then sure. feel like none yeah. of them are working when the problem's actually yeah. the chair. Yeah, exactly. Or the problem, <laughs> exactly. you know, something yeah. exactly. totally yeah. different. And I think that's so great that you mentioned that, that you have to look at all the sub-skills first mm -hmm. in terms of, mm -hmm. and then figure out where the issue is and then tackle that. So totally. Yeah. So glad that you mentioned yeah. that. My baby is uh, seven months old now, so I have been in the cup purchasing oh, stage. Oh, have you? Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very fun. It's very fun, <laughs> yes. And there are, there's so many <laughs> out you. there, right? Like you just type in drinking cup on Amazon yes, yeah, and it is it options. can get overwhelming if you don't know which for where sure. to start and so, I would say yeah. for sure it's a buyer beware situation mm -hmm. because for sure, yeah. it's a big area of area of marketing right mm -hmm. and putting slapping the word like infant or baby or trainer or on something therapy cup or yeah. whatever yeah <laughs> oh well don't even get me started on the therapy it's cups a racket. <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah. you know one of my favorite feeding therapists to follow on social media and and you know to read her books and and things like that is Melanie Potuck mm -hmm. and my favorite tip that she has for a cup solution is to get a baby food jar and put some elastic bands around it to make mm -hmm. it grippier. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons I love it so much is because it's essentially free for a yeah. lot of families. Mm -hmm. and, and she knows um, what she has kind of mastered and, and pointed out is that it's not in the like marketing of the cup, it's in the features of the cup. Yes. Um, so yeah. if you can find whatever solution it is, um, is, it, is it just a, you know, a double ounce shot glass that you're, <laughs> you're gonna practice with, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it point. doesn't need to be a $40, a $40 yeah. anything necessarily. No. Um, we just gotta think about what features match the issues we are facing specifically at home. That's, mm -hmm. that's awesome advice, yeah. Mm -hmm. And there are some hacks. You oh, just yeah. have to know what you're like exactly. hacking for. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think that's, yeah, that's definitely the issue. Also, why would you encourage straw drinking? Okay, this is another really good question. And I think it kind of, uh, it, you know, dovetails really nicely off of mm -hmm. our discussion about cups and, and uh, merchandise in general. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, it's important to know that both straw drinking and cup drinking are great and are the preferred methods by, if you ask most SLPs and OTs and uh, dentists even, if mm. your child, if you can get liquids in by a cup or by a straw, then you are doing great. You're on the road to getting hydration in, in the way that um, best optimizes a person's kind of facial development, dental development, um, oral motor development, mm -hmm. and uh, promotes the most, um, you know, kind of optimal or quote unquote normal um, or just expected way of using your mouth when you're drinking. Mm -hmm. um, the types of 
things that we, you know, of course the, the number one thing is you, your child needs to be hydrated. Children yeah. need to be able to drink. So, yeah. but you know, getting past that point of getting hydration in, um, if we're looking at what's the, what's, the, what's the best or what should I be shooting for? Um, or what can I maybe work to avoid is the sippy cups that have spouts, especially the mm-hmm. heart spouts. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, you know, there's more thought coming out around some of those kind of quote unquote special cups that have the, the silicone lid. I mm-hmm. think like the 360 cup is one example. Um, but these are two types of cups that promote or when you drink out of them, you actually need to use your mouth and not that kind of, a, you know, mature, uh, quote unquote, normal, like swallow way. Mm-hmm. Um, a, so it's uh, more like bottle feeding. Exactly. Is what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. 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 So sucking it out of like, yeah. Yeah. With like a contained suction mm-hmm. vacuum. Yeah. And the um, hard spout on the sippy cup, um, your tongue tends to just rest under it, just exactly like you say, like a bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, kids might just want to kind of bite on it or yeah. you're not using your your lips and your tongue and your mouth together in the most uh, mature fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not really progressing beyond that stage of, of drinking from a bottle. So it's just, again, you know, using a bottle is great up until a certain point and then um, we do want people to progress if they can Um, and then with the kind of 360 cups the the issue is that and if any adults has ever tried to drink out of them what you'll find is that um, you have to like suck really hard they're so hard I've tried them it's like shocking yes of course that you would expect a you know, older infant to try and drink from that successfully. Yeah, like they no need one to of make, those like, getting thrown around. Totally. Yeah, they need to make a quite a hard seal with their lips, which can be challenging, and then um, suck with enough force to um, yeah to break that silicone seal, which gotcha. causes you to overuse your jaw and lips. Mm. Um, you know, it, they these are great solutions for some people who have lots of trouble otherwise. But you know, like like anything, I think I would encourage parents to if something's not working try it yourself and really put yourself in the mm-hmm. like kind of body and mind as much as you can of your child and say why is this not working mm-hmm. <laughs> or why and is this do different? try the cups yourself mm-hmm. and if you yeah. can't do it yeah then it's not the place to start for sure and a little bit of buyer beware some of the straw cups that are available too a lot of them have valves that while they can be great for preventing spilling um can make it you have to suck really 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 hard mm-hmm. or um you know you have to bite down on the straw or something like that um, so something with a valve can actually be a bit of a challenge too. And so one other thing to be aware of is a lot of these products, a lot of these special cups or special straws are designed more with the kind of parents' convenience in, in mind of being like non-spiller, a bit cleaner. Um, and yeah, like when you're out and about, maybe that is a big consideration, uh, mm-hmm. but it, it doesn't, it's not necessarily bringing us closer to our goal, which may be our goal of, of getting the more mature drinking mm-hmm. patterns going on. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was my very long introduction to say <laughs> why straws are good. Um, so straws are, are a, a lovely alternative to open cups because you can often use a straw cup with the lid. So again, you might have a little bit less spilling, a little bit more, uh, a little bit less mess. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if that's something that's important uh, if you're out and about or you know, in a school or social environment. Um, They also require you to use your lips um, to, you know, kind of seal around the straw. So if somebody's able to do that, they're practicing, you know, getting good lip closure and and closing their lips, um, you know, around around that straw. And then if the straw is positioned in, um, you know, kind of an optimal way, kind of a short Mm -hmm. straw Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't go beyond the teeth, then what the tongue needs to do, what your mouth needs to practice doing is pulling the liquid in by using your tongue in kind of a backwards motion. Mm -hmm. And that can promote, um, you know, it's just another way of practicing a more 
mature, um, a more efficient way of swallowing and, and eating. And so for lots of people, this is a great activity yeah. that, uh, you know, kind of helps them move along in their swallowing and, and, and oral development in general. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like how you said it's an activity because it's, it's a learning activity mm-hmm. is what it is. So if you're starting with something like this, I would say you don't need to feel pressure to do it every single time your child has mm-hmm. a liquid, especially if it's mm-hmm. new for them and it's mm-hmm. hard for them. Pick mm-hmm. your time mm-hmm. where you're going to work on this and then use your easier methods if you, you know, you're yeah. going downtown in a non-COVID time and you want your kid to stay dry <laughs> yeah. on their shirt or whatever. Yeah. Right. But yeah. it is it's a whole skill set that has to be learned. Mm-hmm. So even just getting like the right cup doesn't mean it's going to be magical and easy and smooth. It yeah, should be absolutely. easier, but your, your child still has to learn the skill. Still a skill, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, we are going to take a quick ad break, and after the break, we'll be back to talk more with Riley Rosebush. Show the world you love someone with Down syndrome. DSRF Down Syndrome's Wake Shop is stocked with shirts, baby clothes, bags, and more. Whether you're looking for World Down Syndrome Day products, DSRF brand merchandise, or general Down Syndrome items, we have what you're looking for. Love Live on 21st Chromosome and Down Syndrome Drake lives at dsrf.org slash shop. My name is Andrew. I am the photographer. Photos are my interest because I love scenes. It makes me feel very close to people. My photos cards are on my Etsy shop through Andrew's eyes at dsrf.org slash Andrew. Don't forget to watch my video through Andrew's eyes on YouTube. And we're back here at the Lowdown Podcast with our guest today, Riley Rosebush, talking about the wonderful subject of feeding. Um, So Riley, we've talked a lot about things that can go awry and things that can go wrong and areas to look out for, a couple of things on tools to try. What should parents do if they're worried about their child's feeding? So if parents are worried about their child's feeding, I would suggest um, a really wonderful free online self-assessment tool at... uh, kind of a website for an organization called Feeding Matters. So you go to www.feedingmatters.org and uh, what you're looking for is the infant and child feeding questionnaire. So this is a a questionnaire that you can go right ahead today and fill out for free and it gives, the assessment kind of gives you uh, immediate feedback on you know, how your child is doing relative to other kids their age. And if something is, uh, you know, kind of expected at that age, the age your child's at, or if it's an area that might need some help. Um, so, you know, this is a good place to go and kind of, you know, see, you know, how is my child doing relative to age expectations? And, um, you know, what are some things I might look out for? And then what you can do is print out your results and share that with maybe your pediatrician or anybody on your kind of therapy or kind of health profession team and ask questions about starting or initiating feeding therapy. Um, You know, if you have a speech therapist or an occupational therapist, you can ask them about their experience and their training in that area or see if they might be able to direct you to a more specialized clinic or a more specialized person. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, kind of going back 
to if you you know just maybe listening to this you start to have concerns about is my child swallowing safely again for sure that's a question for your doctor or pediatrician because they'll they're the ones who'll need to refer you for that swallowing assessment um and you know just i think i would say don't feel like you have to do it all on your own uh because you know we're going to use this word again it's a complex area <laughs> um but hopefully there are people out there who can help you figure out a better way to help your child progress or help meals maybe just go more smoothly mm-hmm. at home mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. um speaking more about like sort of the feeding team do you have thoughts on who the best person is to be in touch with i think it's going to vary a bit by region mm-hmm. but yeah lay out the team members for us who do we who are we talking about <laughs> So basically, you know, I think we've, you know, kind of mentioned that health is an area that will affect feeding for sure. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you know, any area of your child's health that interacts with their eating or their digesting um, is going to be an important area, you know, professional to be checking in with. So that could include things like gastroenterologists, perhaps, mm-hmm. is your child very constipated all the time? Or are they having weird reactions to food? Um, maybe you need to see an allergist. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that certain digestive issues such as celiac disease are more prevalent in um, uh, population of people with Down syndrome. Um, so, you know, ruling out anything like that because any discomfort, again, um, while people might not be able to express how they're feeling or how food is making them feel. It's something that, um, you know, we need to look out for in, as, you know, signs and symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, beyond that, you're going to want to, you know, think about your child. And again, in this whole area of feeding, where are they kind of falling down? What are these areas um, that kind of seem to specifically speak to the, the issues my child's having? So that could include SLP and OT if there's issues with um, kind of managing the food, some of that oral development or managing, um, you know, the fine motor aspects or the gross motor aspects of eating and being able to sit at the table. Um, if there are major behavior problems going on, of course, there's a behavior specialist out there who can help you look at that from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so that could be um uh, oh, so somebody help me. What's the acronym for a behavior specialist? B- BCBA. Okay, so that could be a BCBA, <laughs> a board certified behavior analyst, who could help look at that. Um, if your child seems like to be experiencing, or adult, you know, anybody is experiencing um, issues that um, may be looking a lot, a lot like anxiety. Um, or stress around food, or if you're experiencing anxiety or stress around your child's eating, a psychologist um, is a great person to be able to have on the team and can look at um, at you know what how we might you know kind of bring the entire experience back to a calm place mm-hmm. um, and and deal with some of the you know potential trauma that might be lingering and causing issues, um, and then you know a big area to you know focus on also is is nutrition because ultimately mm-hmm. the act of eating is so that we can grow in, in a healthy way. So that's going to be your dietitian or nutritionist, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of whoever you're able to to get again in your region um, who can look at your child's overall diet, what they're eating, and making sure that they're getting all the macro and micronutrients they need within whatever kind of specialized texture diet or or you know self limited diet that they are able to manage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, lots. <laughs> yeah, lots of people. But again, it, you don't have to necessarily see every single one of all of those people yeah. as long as you know 
what your underlying issue is. Absolutely. Or at least your jumping off point. Because, yeah, that's a long list. Mm -hmm. If you had to go find those 10 people, it would be a challenge. Yeah, and they might not all want to see you if you're not having any issues with your GI system or anything like that. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I, I think... We really, you know, as somebody on the side of the therapy side, uh, you know, there could be so many people who you're seeing as uh, the parent or family member who's who's managing this, who are giving bits and pieces of information. And as a person on the therapy side, I really appreciate it when parents are able to bring me those reports or put mm-hmm. me in touch oh, yes. with whoever it is mm-hmm. that has um, information that may be pertinent because mm. we, you know, just like we talked about a bit of the fragmentation in the system we have here um, in BC is you know, it can be really difficult for us to access that information. Mm-hmm. It's not something that we just um, we just get to call up and get those reports delivered. I wish. <laughs> or anything I like wish. that. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. we really do count on the parents, um, you know, in all areas of development, but I think especially this type of area, yeah. um, to be the leaders of the team and to be the experts in their child's um, and their family's experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, yeah, I think parents are kind of the number one in this Mm -hmm. you know steering the ship Mm -hmm. I think so too and there is really a limit to sort of the recommendation and and advice that we can give if some of the underlying stuff hasn't been checked Mm -hmm. first yeah Yeah. you know we have to know that there aren't underlying health conditions because then you can you know throw the whole book at the problem but it's Mm -hmm. not going to fix it absolutely so yeah Yeah. that's a really big one um do you want to talk a little bit about how OTs and SLPs here at the DSRF collaborate on feeding yeah, yeah, maybe Hannah can talk about it too. Yeah, um, perfect, perfect. But you know, I think um, we we we're so lucky that we don't have to just put everybody into. There's not some like cookie cutter program that somebody joins up and then they get you know the um, you know capital T the feeding program. Like right. <laughs> like we are able to really individualize things as much as we can for the families we see. Mm-hmm. So in general, I would say. Um, you know, families might start seeing either one of our occupational therapists or one of our speech therapists and working on on some um, thing. And then if we feel like we need support or there's, you know, an issue that we want the other profession to see, we'll just say, hey, why don't you also sign up for a block of occupational therapy now and then we can work together. So um, I would say that I, in general, tend to work more on some of the like oral motor mouth skills, some of the managing mm-hmm. um, like food and textures in the mouth and, mm-hmm. um, you know, looking at some of, uh, you know, what's going on, trying to break down those steps of where things are going awry um, from that level. Um, but that doesn't mean I don't see what else is going on with their mm-hmm. posture and their hands and, you know, what's happening there. Uh, um, but for sure, when those things are going on, I say, oh, Hina, <laughs> can <Exactly>. you <laughs> yeah. help, help yeah. please? Yeah. Yeah. What else yeah. would you say? No, I think I remember um, when I started at DSRF as an OT, Riley had described it to me in a really great way. And I don't understand why there's contentious issues in, in other settings because it makes so much sense to me. But I think you had mentioned something to the effect of like, you know, anything from table to mouth. So using a use of utensils or some of the sensory experiences with the food. So table to mouth can generally be, and again, there's always overlap, but can mm-hmm. generally fall under the OT umbrella. So if someone needs help using their fork or their spoon or, you know, exploring different text, uh, different sensory aspects of feeding and then the mm-hmm. positioning. But once the food is in the mouth and managing it, swallowing it, you know, all that is kind of goes under the SLP umbrella. Mm-hmm. So, but um, but the collaboration aspect of it makes it so much easier because I've sat in on a few of Riley sessions and even today I've learned so much more 
um, just again from hearing from her. So you kind of she watches a, like whether it's a shared client or not. We will watch each each other's sessions, chat about it, and then it kind of helps us create mm-hmm. a, a plan that's collaborative and consistent. Because mm-hmm. I think that's the problem sometimes is if we don't have the in-house people, then it, and if we don't get the reports, then the consistency is lacking. So like mm-hmm. the feeding therapist at somewhere else is doing one thing. Um, and then I am doing one thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, that collaboration is really important mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. be consistent. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, just many perspectives and we all have slightly different absolutely. backgrounds and ways yeah. of looking at things. So. Exactly. Agreed. A little bit of a different lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, Riley, we really appreciate you coming in today. And I'm sure you've given a lot of people food for thought. Oh, hey. Hey. Nice. Uh, good one. Um, we, <laughs> terrible. Hope it wasn't too much to digest all at once. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm I'm like how I'm entertained we are by our own <laughs> horrible jokes. Yes. Um, we will list a bunch of resources at the on our sort of episode page like we always do. So if you're looking for more information or finding that Feeding Matters assessment, mm-hmm. you'll be able to find it there. Mm-hmm. And thanks again, Riley. We appreciate it. Thank, Thank you, Riley. Thank you so much. Yeah, this was fun. Next week on The Lowdown, a Down Syndrome podcast. Yeah, so I think there's some early desensitization strategies you can use. Um, it could be wearing the mask with the hose attached but nothing on and building up the time frame that they wear that and they're going to wear it during the day and they're going to wear it while they're watching their favorite TV show, something like that. And in work using a behavior strategy. So you do this and then, you know, they get some kind of reward immediately after. And, and, and again, you build up the time and then you still during the day work on wearing that mask, but with the machine on and building up that time and using a reward system in order to help establish that, uh, Other times, like if a family member uses CPAP also, um, having the family member do this with the individual just to show like I have to do it too and we can do it together. The Lowdown, the Down Syndrome podcast is a production of Down Syndrome Research Foundation. Learn more at dsof.org and join conversation at DSOF Canada on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And Lowdown is hosted by Marla Foden and Hannah Mahmood. And it's produced by Glenn Hughes. The Lowdown theme music and George Dew was written and recorded by Rick Scott. <laughs>